Well, if you have your Bibles, I invite you to take them up and turn with me to the book of Colossians, the book of Colossians. If you're visiting with us, you'll want to know that we're in, a, in the uh, study uh, called Unparalleled, where we're working our way through the book of Colossians. Colossians can be found towards the, the end of your Bible. If you don't have a Bible and you'd like to follow along, there's a Bible provided for you in the pew back in front of you, and you can find this reading on page 955-ish, I think, from memory. Or you can just Google it on your mobile device of choice. That always works as well. Uh, Colossians chapter 3. We'll be looking at just a couple of verses together. Verses 15 through 17. Unparalleled peace. So if you were to do an exercise, if I was to invite you into an exercise, you can do this if you're a note taker. Maybe you would want to do that now. Or maybe it's just a mental exercise. But if I was to ask you, if you were to write down, what are the three things that have been taking up your thought space this weekend? If there were three things, maybe there's one, maybe there's two, but if there, maybe if you were just to write those down, what are, the, what are the primary things that have been sort of consuming your thinking in your heart and your, and your life? What, are, what would those things be? And why? Why have those things been the center of your, of your thinking? Probably for good reason. And another reason, another question then would be, here are these three things, or two, or one, that have been primarily consuming my thinking. Why is it that I'm thinking in this particular way? And does this way that I'm thinking, does this, these things increase my gratitude and thankfulness to God? Are these things that have been controlling in my mind and my thinking, and maybe even my heart, are they inspiring gratitude and thanksgiving in me towards God? Paul, the apostle, has been explaining to the church in Colossae, he has been writing to them this letter to people that he's never met. And he's been writing to them, and he's saying that he's been stressing, I want you to understand, I want you to know that your identity is in Christ, that you have been brought into the very fullness of God. That's the life that he has for you, that who you are has been wrapped up, that you are wrapped up into the fullness of who God is. Jesus, who is your very life, your identity is wrapped up in him. If you're a follower of Jesus, then your identity is Christ. You are in him and, you, and he is yours. And therefore, as a result of him being who you are, then there are certain things he said that you need to put to death. And we examined those a couple weeks ago. There are certain things that are not, that do not align with who you are in him. You once were a slave to earthly things. You're no longer a slave to those things when you came and took on the identity of Christ. And now you need to put those old things to death. You need to put those down. And then you need to clothe yourselves, we looked at last week, with the things of Christ. You need to clothe yourselves with clothing that is that aligns with who you are in him and he says if you recognize yourself to be a christian if you identify with christ if he is your life and you're putting to death the old life and you're clothing yourself with the new life then you will have the peace of christ then you will have the peace of christ that's what he says in verse 15 let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts. 
Before we get to the peace of Christ, though, then we need to understand, first of all, that we need to have peace with God. We need to be at peace with God. A follower of Jesus Christ is someone who recognizes they were not, at one point in their journey, they were not at peace with God. That because of our sins, because of our failures, because we want to be the God of our own life, that we were separated from a holy God, that we were not at peace with God. But then Jesus Christ came, he lived the perfect life that we couldn't live. He died a sacrificial death on the cross. He rose again in the glorious resurrection, conquering sin and death and hell, in order that those who have been separated from God may entrust themselves to Christ and be at peace with God. That there is a way for you to be at peace with God. And it's through trusting in the person and work of Jesus Christ that you can be at peace with him. And for many of us, that's exactly what you are. We came and celebrated the Lord's Supper, the communion, reminding ourselves that we were once separated from God. We once were not invited to the table, but now because of Christ, we can come to the table. We can, be, we can have peace with him. We are at peace. We're in a position of peace. God looks at us now through the lens of all that Christ has done for us as holy and spotless and righteous in his sight. So we have peace with God. And if you are in a position of peace with God, then he says, you can have the peace of Christ. You can have the peace of God. Then you can experience the peace of God. He's speaking with the peace of Christ. I want to suggest to you that the peace of Christ can be understood as a condition of rest and contentment in the hearts of those who know that their identity is in him. That the peace of God is that there is a condition of rest and contentment in the hearts and lives of those who know their identity is in Christ. Or, I have peace with God, and so therefore, I can have rest and I can have contentment because I know that I'm at peace with God. Now there is this, this rest, this condition of rest and contentment, I want to suggest to you, comes in a couple of different ways for the Christian, for the Christ follower. One, it comes through our obedience. Obedience produces peace in the life of the Christian. Or when we're putting to death, we recognize ourselves to be in Christ. Our identity is in Christ, and we're putting off the old things that we're supposed to be putting off. We're putting to death the things that we shouldn't be, the, the sinful lust and anger and, and, and resentment and bitterness and self-pity and all those things that are normal and natural to every single one of us, but in Christ, they don't align with who I am in him. So therefore, I'm putting those things off, and I'm clothing myself with humility and righteousness and, and self-control. And, and when I'm doing this, then it produces peace in the life of a Christian. When we're obeying him, when we're doing what he tells us to do. The instruction of the Bible, we can, we can sometimes look at the Bible as a list of things that we need to do in, in order to appease God, right? So there's, the reason we need to obey is in order that, geez, we better do the stuff, otherwise if we don't, then God's going to look down on us and be like, you're dead, or something like that. Maybe not quite like that. But we kind of feel that, right? But that's not why the instruction of the Bible is there. Because why? Because my identity is in Christ. I am, I am righteous. I'm holy in him, right? I'm in him, right? Then why the instruction? Because he wants you to live at peace. 
because he's provided you a, a life of peace. He says, now, I'm, listen, I'm giving you these things. I'm telling you these things because I want you to live a life of peace. I want you to have a heart condition of rest. I, I, I want this for you, and I'm telling you how you can have it. Put those things away. Put on these things that align with what I've done for you, and look, you will have a life of peace. Obey. Obedience is not this, you know, like we do with our dogs, you know, get them to obey. We, we make them bow to our will. No. Don't you see? He says, I want you to understand this life of peace. If you will just live by my commands, if you will just delight in my word, if you will just do these things, the peace that is on offer for you. So there is a peace of Christ that comes by just by, by listening and, and by trusting and by obeying. And then there is a piece of Christ that I want to suggest to you comes by abiding and only comes by abiding. Or Paul explains it a little differently in his letter to the, uh, to the Ephesians or to the Philippians. And this is, this is how he puts it. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. That there is a peace that comes to in the life of a follower of Jesus, a disciple of Jesus, that comes by the very Spirit of Christ and only comes by the very Spirit of Christ. And it transcends all understanding. It is a peace that comes that is not based or connected to your situation or circumstances or obedience, but is only in your life because of your connection to Christ and because of his Spirit that is at work in your life. And so therefore, we find ourselves going through terribly difficult circumstances in life, having to walk through the death of a loved one, and yet experiencing in the midst of that this amazing sense of peace and rest that God, that I am in Christ and he is in me. And even though the circumstances are horrible and I would never plan it this way, and yet Christ is with me and I experience him in a way that I've never experienced him before. Or you find yourself walking through a divorce and all these horrific things swirling around you. And yet the very spirit of Christ comes and meets with you and meets you at the very core of where you are. And it's only because you're abiding in him and he then comes and meets you right where you are and you experience a peace and you, that comes no, and no other way. It's not connected to your obedience. It's not connected to anything other than the very spirit of Christ caring for those who are his children. Or sometimes you find yourself reading the word and in a time of worship, in a time of singing maybe, or a time of prayer, and all of a sudden the very spirit of Christ, you do the normal things. Maybe you're in a conversation with a Christian friend and you're talking about spiritual things and you're encouraging one another and counseling one another on in life and all of a sudden the normal, average, everyday things all of a sudden become a sacred space because God comes and brings his peace in a special way. It is an abiding that comes. And if you're here this morning and you're not a follower of Jesus Christ, then what I'm telling you I, I, I run out of words to be able to describe it for you because it is only a work of God by his spirit and the life of those who have submitted themselves and have identified with Christ. I, I, cannot, I cannot describe it anymore. I, can just, I, I run out of words. I sometimes wonder if psalmist, the psalmist in Psalm 23 was trying to describe a little bit of this experience when he says that the Lord is my shepherd 
I lack nothing. That he makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He refreshes my soul. He guides me along the paths for his namesake. And even though I walk through the darkest valley, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil and my cup overflows. Surely goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life. And I dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Trying to allow language to be able to describe the way God supernaturally goes and meets and protects and cares for and provides peace that transcends human understanding. It is a work of God. We have peace with God, and therefore we experience the peace of God by our obedience to him and by our abiding in him. And therefore, Paul says, then let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts. Because we don't always. Because sometimes there's other things that get in the way. Sometimes there are other things that take the highest priorities of our hearts and in our minds. And we become distracted and we become weighed down and we are disrupted and our peace is disrupted by these other things. The worries of our circumstances. And Paul says, let the peace of Christ rule in your heart. He's using language that is actually borrowed from the, from the world of athletics. I know not all of you are into athletics, but he uses this word, and it's actually that, that the peace of Christ is to act as a referee or an umpire. That's, it's the rule. So, so when I was in high school, I played on the high school basketball team, and one of the, a part of being on the team, I guess they wanted us to do community service, and so we had to be referees for the little young guys, right? So they gave us whistles, and they said, show up early on a Saturday, and so we did, and, and it was a horrible experience. One, because I, I didn't really know what I was doing, and two, because the parents are mean, <laughs> they just, and in basketball, and the gyms are small, and they're right on top of you, and they just say things. I'm like, hey, I'm just a high school kid. I'm trying my best. But the role of a referee, it's a difficult role because the, the, the role of a referee is to apply the rules in order that the, the game might be able to be played out in fairness, right? To apply the rules in order that the game might be able to play it out in fairness. And it is the role of the Christian to apply the peace of Christ to our hearts, to be able to say, these are the things, to discern what are the things that are coming into our hearts, into our thoughts, into our thinking, into our living, that are actually things of the old world, things of the old nature. It's who I used to be. And, and rather than, am I clothing myself in Christ? And there needs to be, it is the, allowing the peace of Christ to throw the flag, to blow the whistle, to call the foul. Say, that doesn't belong here. That's not commiserate with who you are in Christ. No, that is a lie from the pit of hell. That is not who you are in Christ. And it, otherwise, it will disrupt our peace. It will disrupt who we are in him, who, who, who he promises that we are. So we, we need to ask the question, does what I'm thinking and feeling and believing align with who I am in Christ? Does what I'm thinking and feeling and believing and doing align more with my earthly self rather than in my, my new self? These thoughts, these actions, these attitudes. 
are they in alignment with who I am in Jesus and all that he has done for me and the promises he has. And this will, this is allowing the peace of Christ to rule and reign in our hearts. Well, there's the peace of Christ is personal to each and every one of us. Because why? Because we, our identity is in Christ and because we must do the work of, of, of a follower of Jesus, of a disciple. But it's not merely, it's not merely personal. It is also communal and relational. Paul says that because we are those who have experienced, we're at peace with God, and because we've experienced the peace of Christ, therefore we are to be people of peace. People of peace. He says, let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, since as members of one body you are called to peace. You have a calling on your life. You have a calling on your life. And the calling, you've been called, he says, to peace. Paul is speaking of the church. He's speaking to the church in Colossae, right? He's speaking in the church is made up of people who have experienced, who are at peace with God. They've experienced the peace of God. And so therefore, they are to be people who are at peace with one another because we're at peace with the head of the church who is Christ. Our identity is in him. And so therefore, we ought to be people of peace with one another to pursue peace. Now in the Bible, the idea of peace, the, the word peace, if you go back, the Hebrew word for peace is actually the word shalom. Because this is a deeper, richer meaning than what we normally think of when we think of the word peace in English. Let me show you. According to uh, Cornelius Plantinga in his, in his book, he says this. Shalom is the webbing together of God, humans, and all creation in justice, fulfillment, and delight. It is what the Hebrews prophets called shalom. We call it peace, but it means far more than mere peace of mind or a ceasefire between enemies. In the Bible, shalom means universal flourishing, wholeness, and delight. A rich state of affairs in which natural needs are satisfied and natural gifts are fruitfully employed. A state of affairs that inspires joyful wonder as its creator and savior opens doors and welcomes the creatures whom he loves and whom he delights. Shalom, in other words, is the way things ought to be. Shalom, the, the, under, the understanding, the, the biblical understanding of peace is that th things are working the way they ought to work. That there, is, there are natural needs that are being met. There are natural gifts that are being deployed and that there's flourishing, that there's unity and that there's, there's fruitfulness that is happening. That's shalom. It's the way things were meant to be. It's the way things God, way God created them. So if you like, when your body is functioning the way that your body ought to function, then you're experiencing physical shalom because your body is working the way it was created. It's working the way it was supposed to. When you turn your ankle because you were doing something you should have been doing, you thought you were still a superhero and you're not, and then you hobble around, you've broken the shalom. You've broken physical shalom because the body isn't working right the way it was designed. And so he says the church, the church is to be this place of human flourishing where the natural needs are being met and your gifts are being deployed and God is unifying and bringing and there's flourishing and there's fruit that is happening. This is what the church is supposed to look like. It is to be a place of shalom. We are to be a people of peace. 
I don't know if you notice, church doesn't always work that way. <laughs> because, you know, I'm a part of it, you're a part of it. Because it's challenging. Dr. Mark Roberts says this about the church. Martin Luther was correct. The church of Jesus Christ is indeed a mighty fortress against which the gates of hell cannot prevail. But individual Christian communities are sometimes quite fragile. Frequently they shatter because members seek their own good rather than the benefit of the community as a whole. They sow seeds of division by their selfishness. But you and I are called to be peacemakers within our churches to preserve the unity and seek the wholeness of Christian community. Sometimes, our individual churches, like this one, our individual communities can be fragile, can't they? Because sometimes we don't always seek the good of the community. We don't always seek the good of the, the, the greater body. Because sometimes we get caught up in our own agendas and our own ideas, and we disrupt the shalom of the church. But Paul says we are one body, that we are called to be people of peace, that we are to interact with one another. We are to have, have our needs be met and our gifts fruitfully employed in order that the shalom of Christ may be known, the peace of God, that this may be a place where we, people can come and get a taste of what it's going to be like when he restores all things. Because we are the people of peace. We're the people of shalom. Well, how are we to do these things? Well, well, we'll discuss the pursuit of peace in a moment, but let me at least give you this. Last week, we discussed a great way for us to be able to do this is to bear with one another. It's to bear with one another, and it is to forgive one another. We will never be the community of shalom. We will never be the place of peace if we are not willing to bear with one another's realities of their fallenness and work towards forgiveness with one another. We will never be the, the, the community if we don't do these things. You have the opportunity today to make peace. You have the opportunity. I don't know all the specifics of the journey or the challenges and complexities of each of your journeys, but I know you have opportunity to be a peacemaker, to work towards peace, to pursue peace and unity and love. I know for some of you, you have an opportunity now because we just, we just named a new name for our church and some of you love it and some of you hate it. Some of you aren't sure yet. You're in shock. Let me suggest to you that you have an opportunity to pursue peace because there's nothing that the evil one would, would like more than to have discord and disharmony and discontent amongst the people of Christ when we're to be a people of peace. There'll be more opportunities as changes continue to happen in our church for us to be able to work towards bearing with one another, forgiving one another, and pursuing peace. Because we're gonna do changes to our, our, our physical building. We're gonna be changing to some of our bylaws. And some of you go, I don't even know what bylaws are. I don't even know why I should care. And some of you say, I can't believe someone doesn't know what bylaws are. And why? Because they're so significant to the church. And yet all of these... Churches have split by, uh, on way smaller things than these. But can we be a people who are willing to say, for the sake of Christ, I will bear with one another. I will work towards forgiveness with one another because I so long 
under the head who is Christ to pursue peace, that we might be able to meet all one another's needs and flourish in our gifting in order that we might be able to be a taste to a watching world of what the shalom of Christ might actually look like. Is it possible for us? I think it is. How is it that we might do these things? How might we pursue peace? Well, Paul says, the pursuit of peace, be thankful, verse 16, and let the message of Christ dwell among you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom through psalms and hymns and songs of the Spirit, singing to God with gratitude in your hearts. And whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of Christ, and in all the name of Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God, the Father, through him. The pursuit of peace, there's plenty to say, but let me give you a couple of thoughts. First is this, to, to, in order to pursue peace, we need to center on Jesus. We need to center on Jesus. He says, or as Paul says, let the message of Christ dwell in, among you richly. Let the message of Jesus dwell among you richly in your own personal journey. We need, your, your heart needs to be filled with Jesus. When you find yourself distracted by the worries, when you find your peace to be slipping away, then you, need, then you know you need to go back to Jesus. You, need, you know you need to come back to the table. You need to be reminded of who you are. You need to be reminded of the gravity of your sin, and you need to be reminded of the gratitude that you ought to have because of the grace of Jesus Christ. It is going back to Christ and staring again at all that he has done for us and allowing it to dwell in our... It means we need to memorize the scriptures. We need to teach the scriptures all of those things in order that we might be able to pursue peace individually. It also means that in our church, that we need to center on Jesus. That in the ministry of our church, we do it because of Jesus. In the language of our church, we ought to be talking about Jesus. When we pray, we're praying through Christ and what he has done for us. All of it is just saturated with the gospel of Jesus Christ because he is the center. This is a book about Jesus. And so we center our ministry and our life and our church around the flourishing that comes through Christ. We need to allow the word of Christ to dwell richly in us if we are going to pursue peace. And then he says we are to teach and admonish. Teach is to inform, admonish is 